It's winter, and you can now get almost anything you need for the coldest months of the year delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a ski slope delivered, but you can get dish soap delivered. Sunshine, that's a no. But a bottle of wine, that's a yes. A snow angel, sorry, no, but angel hair pasta. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol and select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Opening day for the Blue Jays, not good. Top of the third, they trail Texas 6-0. The Avalanche and the Jets are tied 1-1 with six and a half minutes left in the first Avalanche here tomorrow night to take on the Oilers. Our coverage starts with the face-off show at 6-30. The game is at 8. Midway through the first, St. Louis leading mini 1-0. Buchnevich, his 25th on the power play. Islanders up 1-0 on the Canes after 2. Peugeot, his 15th. Late in the second period, it's 3-3 between the Sabres and the Panthers. Panthers out shooting Buffalo 29-14. Skinner with a goal for the Sabres, his 30th. And uh, Edmonton native former Oil King Mark Pesic has uh, scored for Buffalo, his third of the year. Bruins and Lightning 1-1. That's with about two and a half minutes left in the second period. And at the Masters, Scotty Scheffler, impressive. 67 today. He's got a five-shot lead. He's eight under par. Schwartzel, M, Lowry, Matsuyama, all five back. Canadian Corey Connors, seven back. Tiger Woods made the cut. He's one over par. He is nine off the lead. And to discuss more of Tiger, Augusta National, the Masters, I am pleased to welcome back to the show one of the greatest golf writers of all time. It is Lauren Rubenstein. Lauren, great to have you on again, buddy. It's been too long. How's life? Uh, we're doing okay, thank you. Doing all right, and um, enjoying this Masters as always. Yeah, pretty interesting stuff for sure. Now, I, I got to just uh, recap here. The the book you wrote with Tiger was that a twentieth anniversary book? Did that come out in seventeen? Right, it came out before about a month before the twenty seventeen Masters when he was scheduled to play. Um, he anticipated he was going to play, but his back was still not in good shape, so he decided not to play. But that was the purpose of the book, the twentieth anniversary. Okay, now I'm, I'm curious, and I'm sure you've told this story before, but Tiger Woods has a very um, sort of uh, serious and competitive public persona, and he doesn't let anybody in. Uh, a book like that, was it his idea? Was it your idea? Did a publisher bring you guys together? I'm just curious how it worked. Well, a few months, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, as he was approaching his 40th birthday in December of 2015, you know, one of those landmark birthdays, I approached Tiger's group, his team, you might say, to suggest an article on him as he was approaching the 40th birthday. But I suggested an article not for a golf magazine, but for a non-golf magazine, um, you know, figuring that there'd be all kinds of requests for Tiger's time and it'd all be around just golf. And um, they they agreed to do that. So, um, you know, the uh, 
thing was all about where Tiger was at that time in his life. We talked about golf. We talked about his personal life, which had, of course, blown up in 2009. Because it was a non-golf public, it was for Time magazine. We we had to talk about more than just golf. Um, that was the central focus, but there was more. And then after that came out, and it was quite successful, a lot of people read it, enjoyed it, thought Tiger had really opened up in a way that he hadn't before because there, there was nothing that was um, kind of off the table. That was uh, what the deal was. The agreement was between us. Uh, and then I approached him to do a book on the 20th anniversary because we'd already established that kind of relationship, interviewer, subject, golf writer, golfer. And uh, they agreed to do that. So that's that's kind of how it all came about. So, I mean, I know you've been around the game a long time. Did you, did you have a pretty good relationship with Tiger before that? Or were there some... Uh, not walls to break down, but you know what I'm getting at, some a comfort level to find? Um, well, we did have, um, you know, he wasn't the golfer I'd gotten the closest to by any stretch of the imagination, but in the wintertime I lived down in Jupiter, Florida, which is where he lives on Jupiter Island there, um, and I'd gotten to know people around him, particularly one fellow, and um, I knew that um, I could tell by the answers Tiger gave to questions I'd asked at press conferences and when I had had a chance to talk to him one-on-one that um, he believed I knew something about the game and that we could, uh, we've had good conversations. So I thought that if he was going to react, um, I thought there was a good chance he'd react positively to it. So um, he did. And, uh, you know, we had a great time sitting in his one of the boardrooms in his office, which was kind of a five, ten-minute walk from where I lived down there. And uh, um, we just talked. There was a number of sessions. We had lunch together a couple times. And then um, I left Florida after the winter was over. And then I went back there in June to complete uh, talking to him and interviewing him. And there were phone calls between us, obviously, as the uh, manuscript took shape but it was really a good experience I mean he was uh, and when you talk to him one-on-one and he begins to have some trust in you he'll kind of you know he'll open up and uh, he'll he's a funny guy too he uh, obviously knows golf but he's interested in a lot of other subjects as well well so how many I apologize if you don't remember but you know how many hours you would have spent talking to him for the book uh well I don't know probably 25 30 of one-on-one interviews i would say something like that yeah quite a bit you know i mean i got you know all of the interviews i obviously i taped and i've got them all and uh it was quite a bit and then you winnow it down you winnow it down i mean it's kind of like you know just because you've done all of these interviews and have all these hours doesn't mean you have a book you've still got to obviously (laughs) you know organ it's like i always tell people you know when they ask that question they think well you just sit down you talk to somebody you have a book like there's some there's one close friend of mine right now and he just bugs me all the time he wants me to do a book with rory he thinks rory would be a fabulous subject and i'm sure that he would and he's i think this guy thinks that all i have to do is sit down and talk to rory and i've got a book and i tell him look you know just because you have all the parts for a car doesn't mean you got a car (laughs) yeah that's a good point so in all that talking to Tiger, and you mentioned he obviously respected you and, and you guys got comfortable with each other, but was there ever a moment where he seemed like he didn't want to talk about something or did he ever give, her, give you like a, come on, Lauren, not now, or I've, I've answered that already. We got to move on. Did you, was there ever any tension like that? Uh, he never did 
that in terms of saying, come on, we've got to move on. But there were times, of course, when I could feel him hesitating uh, to talk about something or to go deeper. And, um, you know, I had to push him sometimes, but and I would explain why I was pushing him, why he had to go a little further on this subject or that subject. And he was always a good listener. He really was. And uh, he usually, I don't remember any times that he disagreed with me as well. And, of course, you know, other people on his team were involved as well. But, uh, you know, somebody sat in on the interviews but that it was the person i know best in his group or knew best in his group he's no longer in there but um and uh, but he never in, intervened at all he just sat there and listened that's all i mean he didn't open, he didn't talk once so uh, it was it was really a very comfortable relationship and uh, you know he 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 led me into his life pretty well i think and because i'm a kind of a golf nerd i really just enjoyed talking <laughs> to him about the swing and the shots we watched all hours and hours of video of the 97 masters Oh. The entire CBS telecast, he would talk about all kinds of shots. And so, you know, I, it was always, you know, it was kind of a window into the mind of a great. You know, he, he hit some shots that um, some people think that in that 97 Masters, anybody who remembers it, they, they, they might remember some shots that they thought were phenomenal. But the shots that Tiger thought were phenomenal were not maybe what uh, other people thought. They weren't necessarily shots that had the most drama, but they were shots that were the most kind of in- intricate and subject to the most error if or if you made the slightest mistake. So that was really enjoyable for me to listen to him. All right, so then i got to ask you, have you spoken to him at any point during his recovery from the car crash? No, I haven't. No, I really haven't. Okay. Lauren Rubenstein joining us tonight on Inside Sports. So he gets out there and plays, um, and he plays not bad. Um, I saw bits and pieces of his round today. Quite frankly, whenever I was watching uh, Lauren, he, he looked like he was struggling, like hitting some shots off to the right on the first uh, three holes. Uh, there's another par three. I think he missed short and to the right. Uh, but, I mean, what do you, like, is it realistic? Like, is this just an accomplishment that he made the cut? Is that kind of a victory in and of itself for him this weekend? Well, I think he he probably feels that it is, considering the conditions today were so tough, and also the round was so slow, five and a half hours of standing out there, and plus Louis Eustazen, with whom he was playing in the threesome, at least in the first uh, round he dropped out because of an injury so there were just two of them there was a lot of waiting around the rhythm of the round wasn't what you would call natural when you're playing in the in the usual threesome so and he started out boging first for the first five holes so he wasn't at his best for sure but and in, in a post-round interview he happened to mention that he, he made the cut and here he is with a chance on the weekend he's always said well you're not going to have a chance to win if you're not there on the weekend but I think you know reading between the lines knowing him a little bit I feel like he thought it was a, it was a, it was a good accomplishment to make the cut, especially after the way he got, he got started today. But he also feels, I know for sure, that uh, although he's well behind, there's only ten golfers, including Scotty Scheffler, the leader by the five uh, shots, as you say. So there are only ten golfers that he has to get past. I say only, but quite often, if you're as many shots behind in a tournament after two rounds as he is, there's probably thirty golfers between you and the lead, and you've just made the cut. But he made the cut comfortably. 
and he knows what Augusta can play like. And tomorrow is going to be quite cool, apparently, and and very windy. So, uh, you know, I mean, Scotty Scheffler's playing the best golf of anybody in the world right now, and I don't really expect him to come back to the field. But you know, if he go play, shoots a couple over, and somebody manages to shoot a real hot round today tomorrow, who's within that, uh, you know, a seven, eight, nine shots, you go into Sunday and you're five behind, and then you come into the back nine and you're three or four behind. Uh, you know, you've got a chance. So who knows? Tomorrow will tell a lot. Okay, and in good transition, because I should ask you about Scheffler. we got to give him some time. Like you said, he is five shots clear of the field. Tell us a little bit about his, his story and his uh, journey. Like, I know I've been hearing his name over, over the last couple of years for sure, but he's really kind of been skyrocketing lately. Yeah, I mean, I know tour players have thought really, really highly of him um, for a while. Just, you know, not a couple of months ago after he won his first tournament and he's gone on and won a couple more since then, a tour player told me he, he thought, you know, he was really one of the top players in the world already and he was going to win many, many tournaments in his career. And he's only 25 years old and since then he's won two more, including that match play championship. And now here he is with a five-shot lead. So he's, uh, you know, really a, a class act. He can hit all his shots. He can knock the ball down on the wind he can hit it high downwind if he wants to he can do a lot with the golf ball and he's taking it all in stride so um, I'm very impressed with him and uh, you know believe me it wouldn't be a surprise to see him go out tomorrow shoot another 68 and have an eight or nine shot lead going to the last round but it's Augusta National it's the Masters and uh, you know we'll, we'll see if we're, if we're talking tomorrow night uh, we'll have a lot better idea of how things will shake out on Sunday you know, yes, you've covered. I, 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 I don't even know how many it is. You can tell me if you want. I assume you've you've covered many Masters, watched many Masters. Richard Zolkel was on with me last night. He's played the Masters, played Augusta, and talked about the elevation changes and how quick the greens are. From your experience there, covering the tournament, like literally talking to hundreds of guys after rounds after the tournament, um, you know what what stands out for you about that? course that that people should know about when they're watching over the weekend yeah well everybody talks about the elevation changes and, and because you don't really see it uh, on television as much and it's true that is there but it's the speed of the greens and if you're on the wrong side of the hole that's what's been impressive about scotty scheffler and to some extent tiger too when they're you know and scotty's not nearly as, uh, as uh, experienced as uh, as tiger obviously at, at, at augusta but you've got to hit the ball in the right places and if you don't um i remember watching greg norman uh, in the masters one year when he i think was after the third round, he shot. It was that Masters where he lost the six-shot lead to Nick Faldo with one round to go in 96. Anyway, yep. in the third round, uh, uh, Greg Norman played pretty well. And I asked him, he had a putt on the 11th hole. It was only about a three-foot putt downhill with Ray's Creek. Kind of, he was looking right at it. The pin was on the front left. And I asked him how fast that putt was. He said it was the fastest putt of my life. And I had to hit the putt on the toe of the putter to slow it down, which, you know, a lot of tour, tour golfers will do that somehow has an effect on the ball, on the roll of the ball that it slows it down a little bit. Uh, one more little story on that. I asked Mike Weir once, um, not at the tournament he won at the Masters, he won in 03, but another time when the greens were super fast, it was dry and hard out there, and I said if you're not out there on a Sunday afternoon at Augusta on those greens, and even if you're just beside them watching, can you have any idea of how fast those greens are? And he looked at me and he laughed. He said no, not a chance. Not until you're standing over that short putt and you've got to somehow get it in a hole uh, from four feet away, and you know if you miss it, it's going eight feet away. So, yeah, the greens are the toughest part of the golf course. 
Okay, and I'll close there with the Canadian angle. Corey Connors, uh, seven back. Um, uh, what does he have? I think he three top 20 ma- uh, major finishes in the last couple of years. How close is he to breaking through at a major, do you think, Lauren? I think he's pretty close. I think he could be right in that group tomorrow. The, you know, has a good round. He's a good win player. Um, he is very confident in himself. He's got a beautiful golf swing. Uh, and he doesn't seem to make a lot of mistakes. I don't see him making big numbers. Um, so, although, of course, Augusta National on Sunday, there are times you have to go for pins you wouldn't maybe go for otherwise or try shots. But uh, yeah, I think uh, uh, I really think he's going to you know win a major and uh, at some point. And you know, while we're at it, we shouldn't leave Mackenzie Hughes out of it. I mean, the guy had a birdie the last hole today out of a fairway bunker to make the cut, and he did. He hit a fantastic shot out of the bunker at eight or nine feet, made the putt, probably knowing it was going to be the number these guys know. And here he is playing the weekend. So good for him. It's nice to have those two guys in there. Lauren. I love having you on. Uh, you're such a wealth of knowledge. You know the game and the players so well. So thank you for taking time to hop on tonight. Uh, I know you've probably been pretty busy. Well, how many books are you up to now about golf? Is it 16 or something like that? <laughs> you're close. I think it's, it's yeah, it's 15 if I include some of the club histories I wrote. Maybe it's 16 now because I got a new one coming out on Thornhill's 100th anniversary. So yeah, it's quite a we'll, quite a quite a few. It's been fun. We'll round it up. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, enjoy watching. I don't know if we got an Oilers game tomorrow. I'll try to watch a little bit, but Sunday hopefully I can sit down and watch. It's going to be a, a fun weekend. I'm sure we'll be in touch, Lauren. Thank you so much for checking. Alrighty. Thanks for inviting me on. Take care. Bye. That is Lauren Rubenstein, the one of the all-time great golf writers. Uh, used to write for the Globe and Mail. I, I, I thought I saw a list of sixteen books when I looked. Anyway, he's written a lot of books about golf. Knows a lot about Tiger Woods. Really good insight into Woods. I mean, that's very cool. He got to sit down with Woods, talk to him, talk to him over the phone, get him to open up a little bit. That's uh, that's awesome stuff. And Woods has made the cut for the weekend. Blue Jays are down six nothing in the top of the fourth in their first game of the season, hosting the. Texas Rangers. We do have Joaquin Gage coming up. He's going to give his thoughts on the Oilers' hot streak on the Oilers' goaltender, and uh, Joaquin also part of that NHL Black History Hockey Tour that's uh, in Edmonton today and tomorrow, two to eight today, two to eight tomorrow in Ice District. We got to call a quick timeout. It's Inside Sports on Chet. for tuning in tonight inside sports on 630 chad uh more extensive chat about the Oilers goaltending with joaquin gage coming up after the seven o'clock news that'll be fun a little bit on baseball opening day from former expos pitcher mike johnson that'll be between 7 30 and 8 a little bit from you right now kellen Oilers stuff first read, so we'll go uh, with Andrew D. He asks, do you think we see Perlini again this season if you had to choose between Perlini or Broussard? Well, I think no, because I think they've already chosen Broussard over Perlini because he's playing in the NHL and they traded for him and Perlini's in the minors. I think it's unlikely we see Perlini this season. I read, sorry, but you're too excited about Smith. I hope Koskinen gets a net in the playoffs. Smith is 0-8 in the playoffs. I think you need to mention that. Thanks from Louie. Yeah, okay. 
Okay. Shifting gears to the Blue Jays. Uh, we got um, John texting in tonight, and he says, Reed, I did the math. Even if the Blue Jays lose tonight, their magic number to win the AL East is 412. <laughs> they may yet have a shot. They still have a shot. That's fair. Yeah, he's already counting the magic number. That's awesome. That's some thorough fandom right there. Good stuff. By the way, if you're watching a game tonight, you can take a look and see the, the uh, little bit of the improvements they've made at uh, the the, uh, the old Sky Dome Rogers Center. There, the lighting looks different, and they got this really cool video board up along the the uh, the back outfield wall. It's pretty cool. But oh, anyway, I didn't even I notice know. that. Yeah, yeah, so it looks way different. The TV presentation looks way different than it did last year. So there we go. Jeez, so. I don't even remember that, Kellen. Good for you. <laughs> Eagle eyed, I guess. There, there we go. Uh, Masters question from Brian says basically asking who's your pick to click this weekend at the masters well I, before the tournament i picked morikawa um so i'll i i don't think i made that pick on air but i was picking morikawa before the mm-hmm. tournament he's seven back i mean if you had to pick somebody now would you not pick scott scheffler <laughs> he's five yeah, up. no kidding you say this weekend or this week uh it's, it's this weekend it looks like it may have may auto correct the weekend but well, I still think Morikawa can make a charge, and, and I wouldn't count out Matsuyama either. But that's a pretty nice cushion for Scheffler. We'll see what happens on Saturday. Um, I, I like Morikawa a lot, though. I, I, I'm in a golf pool every year with some guys at work, and I wound up with the first overall pick this year, and I took Morikawa. I, I think he's got a lot of potential. Joaquin Gage coming up. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.